This night has opened my eyes. I needed a break. The studio, windowless, lights dimmed, and without a clock. Might as well have been a submarine 20,000 leagues deep. Hey, I'm gonna go grab some beer. You want anything? I asked Elliot. A couple packs of camel lights would be great, he replied. Emerging from the heavy industrial grade front door, even in the early evening, was jarring. Oh, fuck, I muttered, squinting as if a flashlight were being shown in my face. But I was glad for the chance to stretch my legs and see the world in motion again. Van Nuys Boulevard and the adjacent streets are like a Looney Tunes background with their seemingly endless repetition of shopping centers, fast food chains, and palm trees. So I just assumed I'd run into a liquor store in no time. Somehow I didn't, and suddenly the sun had set. I was about to turn back after noticing a few passers-by giving me looks, like I had wandered down the wrong street, when I spotted a bodega near some Amtrak lines northeast of the studio. I grabbed a 12-pack of Miller Lite, asked the cashier for two packs of Camel Lights, then pulled up my hoodie and speed walked back in the other direction. Van Nuys felt seedy now, a strip mall astral plane as unreal as it was ordinary, seen through different eyes in the wake of Elliot's revelations and our subsequent conversation. As I walked, calls to Chicago went unanswered, and so my thoughts raced. They'll never like it, Elliot had said in response to an expression of breakup solidarity. When I told him that I didn't think my girlfriend liked that I was in LA, trying to make an album, trying to make music my whole life, I saw the old guitarist in my mind, missed my med student roommates, and chased the adage, physician heal thyself, in circles. Elliot the healer in torment, down and out in the worst way, with hardly even the motor skills to console himself with his own music. I thought about the serendipity of Elliot's musical path, a child abuse victim turned musical genius, who made his name with a song for a film about a child abuse victim turned mathematical genius. But mostly I thought about what it is to be little and afraid. I thought about not being able to sleep at night being afraid of monsters waiting in shadows cast by moonlight, of being so upset by Sunday school lessons about death and the weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell, that I would sometimes wake my parents downstairs and tell them that I had a stomach ache so I wouldn't have to be alone with my fear. I thought about Elliot, about him being afraid of monsters waiting in the shadows when he was little, about the monster being real. A predator disguised as a parent, taking him from his bed, up to the attic, doing it to him. What could be more horrifying, more damaging than that? I asked myself. I thought about how inconceivable it was for anyone to be a functional person after suffering such damage, such terror as a child. I thought about Rilke calling on the young poet to regard childhood as an amulet, 
world carried within to draw on for strength in moments of disillusion. The realization that childhood was to Elliot not an amulet, but a drowner's millstone filled me with wild sorrow. Nearly back and walking down the alley behind the studio, Elliot waved me into the building manager's office next door. The manager, a middle-aged bald guy in a golf polo, had some cocaine and offered it to Elliot and I. No thanks, I said. I'm just gonna have a beer. That was fine. No peer pressure like I'd instantly feared, thank God. So I just stood there, awkwardly drinking a Miller Lite bottle, while the two of them snorted the white powder after tapping bits of it out from a vial onto the tops of their hands. It was weird. The manager guy got all revved up, talking a mile a minute about nothing in particular, a kinetic state that made Elliot appear in slow motion by contrast. So who's been recording next door? Elliot asked. I can hear the bass coming through the walls. A band called Rooney, the manager answered. Haven't heard of them, Elliot replied, looking sideward to me. I shook my head, but even if I had been familiar with the Weezer-influenced band led by Jason Schwartzman's younger brother Robert, I might still have drawn a blank. At this point, the night and L.A. at large was an out-of-body experience twice removed. I had seen and heard and said so much, and the days had blurred in the perma-night of the studio. It was strange. I was of course familiar with the harrowing Elliot Smith album cover image of blue bodies suspended in air, suicide jumpers ostensibly and the drug references and songs of Elliot's like Needle in the Hay, The White Lady Loves You More, and Junk Bond Trader. But I just never thought for a second that drug use or even the subject of drugs would come up. I don't know if I was merely naive or just didn't want to admit the possibility. I had certainly been oblivious to Elliot's drug use before his revelation. Days before, Walking down Sunset Boulevard, toward Amoeba Records in Hollywood, a guy stopped me on the sidewalk. Do you need anything? He asked. Uh, no, I said. Do you need anything? No, man, he countered. Do you need anything? No, I said again, confused. Do you need anything? Half flustered, half amused, he walked west and I walked east. Days later in the studio, I finally realized, oh, that guy was trying to sell me drugs. The next day came, but not a beam of light, because the blinds were shut, 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 shut so tight. I fell out of bed, laced in spit and sweat. It made me very cold. Now I'm, now I'm sh -sh shaken, sh shaken. I'm supposed to feel better. This nightmare is supposed to end. I'm holding on. I'm shaking now. Lyrics from Rooney's, I'm shaken. Possibly projected from Elliot's state of existence on one side of the wall. 
that separated the two studios to the young band on the other? A joke, but also maybe not. Maybe Elliot would have laughed. He was funny and joked around a lot more than the mythos around him suggested and was into cosmic ideas. And he was smart, just good at taking tests, in his words, but it went beyond that. We talked about our respective attempts to grasp the very basics of astrophysics, non-Euclidean geometry, string theory. And it really piqued his interest when I told him about a theory in Epicurean philosophy which reasons that if the universe is comprised of a finite number of atomic particles, then it is possible that, even as life begins and ends in endless succession over time, all of the particles could eventually recombine exactly as they are in the present moment, possibly even an infinite number of times, like Nietzsche posits in the thought experiment of eternal recurrence. This guy, Lucretius, who was a student of Epicurus, wrote about it first, I said. You remember how we were talking about how Brian Wilson wanted to use music to bring healing and kindness to people? This guy was just like that, just with philosophy instead of music. At some point during the night that had stretched on for days, Elliot made arrangements to go to rehab in the morning at a place called the Neurotransmitter Restoration Center, NRC, in Beverly Hills. Oh, wow, I said with unrestrained enthusiasm when he dropped the news. That's great, Elliot. Really, wow. Is it here in LA? Yeah, in Beverly Hills. Fancy. Ha, <laughs> yeah. So they restore your neurons? Yeah, they basically kick all the shit out of your neuroreceptors. Because your synapses are all kind of blown out? Yeah, so they have to be reset with amino acids. So all the serotonin and dopamine and stuff will start flowing right on its own again? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's just great. I'm so happy for you. We should put on some happy music. Anything look good in here? I continued, extracting a case logic soft case, jam-packed with CDs from my backpack and handing it to him. In its 24 sleeves were the following titles. Cannonball Adderley, something else. Amelie, original soundtrack. Badly Drawn Boy, The Hour of the Bewilder Beast. Manuel Barocco plays Lennon and McCartney. The Beatles, Revolver. The Beatles, Magical Mystery Tour. Beulah, When Your Heartstrings Break. Built to Spill, Perfect From Now On. Built to Spill. There's Nothing Wrong With Love. Chamber Strings, Month of Sundays. Coldplay, Parachutes. John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. Miles Davis, Essentier pour la F. <laughs> Essentier pour la Chafaure, Elevator to the Gallows. Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, Doves, 
Lost Souls, Granddaddy, The Software Slump, I Am Clute, Natural History, Oasis, What's the Story of Morning Glory, Elliot Smith, Either Or, Elliot Smith, XO, The Smith's Hat Full of Hollow, The Strokes, Is This It, Rufus Wainwright, Self-Titled, Wilco, Summer Teeth, and crammed in at the very back was a recent haul from the Amoeba Records in Hollywood that included Coldplay's newly released A Rush of Blood to the Head and used copies of Miles's In a Silent Way, Milestones, and Roundabout Midnight. Here we go, Elliot said, plucking What's the Story, Morning Glory from the case. Oasis. Good call. I listened to this album like a million times in high school, I remarked, amused and elated by the selection, and relieved to both have avoided the awkwardness of Elliot encountering his own either-or and XO in the next two sleeves, or possibly having to explain that, yes, I bought the new Coldplay album on the day it came out. She ain't Elliot suddenly brayed, impersonating Liam Gallagher's famously nasal vocal sneer of the word shine as opening track, hello, bellowed from the speakers. Ha, <laughs> yes, I exclaimed, clapping my hands together. We're the best fucking band in the world, mate, I declared in my best Liam voice imitating the thickly accented bravado displayed on the Manchester band's bonkers, wibbling rivalry, single release of recordings of Liam and Brother Noel arguing. Hawaii, Elliot continued, following Liam's elastic away. I think my favorite one on this album is Hey Now, I shared. Which one is that? Track five, right after don't look back in anger. The one where he keeps singing, feel no shame cause time's no shame. What's your favorite? Champagne Supernova. Slowly walking down the hall. Faster than a cannonball. God, that's a great line. The best. If you really want to go full Liam, you've got to sing with your arms clasped behind your back and your head tilted up like the microphones in the ceiling. I demonstrated. Yeah, exactly, Elliot said. And then playing the tambourine whenever you're not singing. Totally. But seriously, Liam's got one of the best voices ever. I wish I could sing like him. Me too. until sunrise would be our last, sitting side by side before the trident. The carpe diem high school hangout vibe, ushered in by Elliot's rehab good news, and the Oasis sing-along was pure joy. We talked TV shows, Inspector Gadget, did impressions, The Simpsons, bounced around ideas for a name for the studio. Studio Lonely, Studio One and Only, and listened to T-Rex's 
Telegram Sam on repeat while hunting for more big dumb rock songs to appreciate. As the dawn approached, we returned to talk of our hopes and dreams and of Elliot's own growing plans to help people. He wanted to help children who were victims of abuse through his own foundation, funded with money from his album sales and concert earnings, and to tour like hell to fill its coffers. You've got to do it, Elliot, I implored. As we talked late into the night, time appearing as if on Elliot's side for the first time in a long time. It was hard to think of anything more beautiful. Elliot rising from rehab, remade in the image of St. Jude, the Roman candle-haloed patron saint of lost causes, bringing light to those who have endured darkness. Two NRC employees knocked on the studio door, bright and early to pick up Elliot. They looked at me suspiciously, like I might be a drug dealer or enabler. I didn't blame them for not understanding that I was the opposite. That I had indeed summoned every good thing within myself. For Elliot, in the many hours since his first revelation, all I could do was look them straight in the eyes and say, take good care of him. Bye.